You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 61 of the GDPR Weekly Show. As regular listeners will know, I like to start with a shout out to our new listeners. And this week we have new listeners in London, Cardiff, Birmingham, Portsmouth, Sheffield, Guildford, Nottingham, Southampton, Bristol, Chelmsford, Colchester, Havant, Newcastle upon Tyne, Ipswich and Derby. That's all in the UK. In Ireland, we have new listeners from Dublin and County Wicklow and County Cork. In France, we have new listeners from Paris, Lyon, Chamonix and Colmar. In Spain, we have new listeners in Barcelona. In Portugal, new listeners in Lisbon. In the Netherlands, we have new listeners in Arnhem, Appledorm, Amsterdam, The Hague and Rotterdam. In Germany, we have new listeners in Frankfurt. In Denmark, we have new listeners in Copenhagen and Hoversdaden. In Sweden, we have new listeners in Gothenburg and Stockholm. In Switzerland, we have new listeners in Bern, Geneva and Zurich. In Italy, we have new listeners in Milan. In Austria, we have new listeners in Linz, Vienna and Salzburg. In Hungary, we have new listeners in Budapest. And in Romania, we have new listeners in Bucharest. In South Africa, we have new listeners in Johannesburg. In Pakistan, we have new listeners in the Punjab. In India, we have new listeners in Karnataka and Tamil Nadu. In Thailand, we have new listeners in Bangkok. In the Philippines, we have new listeners in Manila. We also have new listeners this week in Tokyo, and we hope that everyone in Japan is safe from Typhoon Hajibis as it's approaching the uh, Japanese mainland at the moment. We have... uh, New listeners in Hong Kong. We also have new listeners in Adelaide, Melbourne and Perth in Australia. New listeners in Sao Paulo in Brazil, in Alberta and Quebec in Canada. And then in the USA, we have new listeners this week in San Francisco, New York, Dallas, Boston, Kalamazoo, Los Angeles, Sacramento, Atlanta, Houston, Seattle, Minneapolis, Rochester, San Diego, Jacksonville, Austin, Denver, Phoenix, Salisbury and Asheville in North Carolina. So, great range of listeners from right around the world this week and of course a shout out to all my regular listeners. It's great to have so many of you listening in every week now and taking half an hour out of your week to catch up on the latest news in the world of GDPR. We do appreciate your listening. I also appreciate all your feedback. So if you have any feedback on the show, please always feel free to email me on podcasts at insurety.co.uk that's e-n-s-u-r-e-t-y.co.uk or go to the Insurety website at www.insurety.co.uk and go to the podcast page and there you can find how to contact me and also um, access to all the previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. So if there's anything you missed, go there and catch back up or of course you can find the GDPR Weekly Show on Apple iTunes, on Stitcher, on YouTube, and indeed on all major podcast platforms. So, in just a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So, coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have news of a data breach for Electronic Arts in their FIFA 20 uh, online game. We have news that World of Warcraft creator is receiving a blizzard of data subject access requests. 
We'll have news of two ladies who have been given suspended prison sentences for unauthorised access to data. We then have news of a data breach at Wellington Healthcare in New Zealand, which has potentially exposed details of one million New Zealanders. We then have news of a data breach at the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital. We then have a look at the results of a training needs survey for GDPR carried out by the Data and Marketing Association, and there's some interesting outcomes from the result of that survey. We then have an article because GDPR has been blamed for a doubling in the number of data breaches reported to the ICO by government departments. And finally for this week, we have news of a data breach at the Dutch prostitution website, hookers.nl, which has potentially released the details of 250,000 users of that website. So, a great mix of articles for you again this week. We hope you find the show useful and entertaining. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Electronic Arts suffered a data breach this week in their new game, FIFA 20. And it appears that as a result of the breach, the personal data of more than 1,600 players was actually released. The breach involved a form used to sign up for the EA Sports FIFA 20 Global Series, which is a series of in-game tournaments that offer qualifications to the E-World Cup, which is Electronic Arts or EA's premier eSports tournament, which gives you a shot at a $3 million prize pool. The form began showing personal information belonging to those that had already signed up shortly after registration opened and potentially exposed the email address, gaming ID, country residence and date of birth of other competitors. The breach was notified to Electronic Arts, but it was believed that more than 1,600 players had their personal data compromised before the breach was fixed. And the players involved not just uh, people playing at home, but professional and well-known players in the FIFA eSports scene. Once they've been notified, it took Electronic Arts approximately 30 minutes to take the form down. And so I think they should be congratulated on reacting quickly once they were made aware of the problem. And a spokesman for EA Sports said, We've determined that approximately 1,600 players were potentially affected by this issue and we're taking steps to contact those competitors with more details and suggestions on how to protect their EA accounts. We don't know at the present time whether EA has notified the UK ICO or not. Obviously, they have 72 hours from when they discovered the breach to decide whether to do that or not. And also, this depends on the seriousness of the information. And based on the information that we've seen so far, we probably feel that this incident, although obviously it needs recorded in the Electronic Arts Data Breach Register, probably doesn't actually need reporting to the ICO, but that ultimately, of course, that will be a, be a decision for the Electronic Arts Data Protection Officer to make that decision. And so if we have any news on this from either Electronic Arts or from the UK ICO, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. 
You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Blizzard is another games company with a GDPR headache this week, but this time not because of a data breach, but because of a sustained uh, campaign of data subject access requests. And I have to say, it's the first time that we've come across the use of data subject access requests in this way against a corporation. Um, We've seen this used before against councils or indeed against some central government departments. But against a commercial organisation, this is a new one for us. So how did all this start? Well, Blizzard, who produced World of Warcraft, disqualified a high-stakes tournament winner over his statement of solidarity with the Hong Kong protests. Now, Blizzard, being dependent on mainland China for a massive share of its revenue, couldn't afford to offend the Chinese state, and hence why it disqualified the winner. However, outraged users of uh, Blizzard's game, of World of Warcraft, have encouraged each other to make data subject access requests to Blizzard, and to flood them with these requests, on the basis that A, fulfilling the requests will take Blizzard a lot of time and resource, and if Blizzard don't fulfil the request within a reasonable time period, then of course potentially they could lay themselves open to penalties under GDPR. And so the user group have actually produced a template email for people to send to Blizzard so that they don't need to think about the wording themselves. They don't need to just say, oh, I made a data subject access request. But it gives perhaps the most precise wording of a data subject access request that we personally have seen. And so I'm just going to read it to you because it's actually quite fascinating, the elements that they've picked up on, I think. So... It reads, to whom it may concern, I am hereby requesting access according to Article 15 GDPR. Please confirm whether or not you are processing personal data, open bracket, as defined by Article 4, 1 and 2 GDPR, close bracket, concerning me. In case you are, I am hereby requesting access to the following information pursuant to Article 15 GDPR. All personal data concerning me that you have stored, the purposes of the processing, the categories of the personal data concerned, the recipients or categories of recipients for whom the personal data has been or will be disclosed, where possible, the envisaged period for which the personal data will be stored, or if not possible, the criteria used to determine that period, where the personal data is not collected from the data subject, any available information as to the source of the data, and the existence of automated decision-making, including profiling, referred to in Article 22.1 and Article 22.4 of GDPR, and at least in those cases, meaningful information about the logic involved, as well as the significance and the envisaged consequences of such processing for me. If you are transferring my personal data to a third country or an international organisation, I would trust to be informed about the appropriate safeguards according to Article 46 of GDPR to attain the transfer. Please make the personal data concerning me, which I have provided to you, available to me in a structured, commonly used and machine-readable format as laid down in Article 20, Paragraph 1 of GDPR. My request explicitly includes any other services and companies for which you are the, you are the controller, as defined by Article 4, Paragraph 7 GDPR. As laid down in Article 12, Paragraph 3 GDPR, you have to provide the requested information to me without undue delay and in any event within one month of receipt of the request. 
joined Article 15.3 GDPR, you have to answer this request without cost to me. I'm including the following information they said to identify me. There they're told to put their identification data and it's suggested that they put their name, their date of birth, their address, their email address and so on. The request then finishes with, if you do not answer my request within the stated period, I'm reserving the right to take legal action against you and to lodge a complaint with the responsible supervisory authority. So, in some ways, of course, a model data subject access request, those of us who deal with data subject access requests will know that a data subject access request doesn't need to be anything near as detailed as this one. And indeed, I, as I said previously, I don't think I've ever seen one as well detailed as this one. But what this does do, of course, is it means that for Blizzard, they have no option but to comply. They can't say we didn't realise it was a data subject access request because it is exactly a model data subject access request. And so the principle that the protesters are working on is just the sheer volume of these requests that they're able to put into Blizzard. And obviously they're working on the basis that if they do that, the effort and the resource required by Blizzard will mean Blizzard won't be able to answer all the queries within 30 days. And then, of course, they lay themselves potentially open to action under GDPR. So, a novel approach from consumers on how to express their frustration, I guess. And in the current age where people are looking to protest more, and if we look at, for example, Extinction Rebellion, this may act as a catalyst for them. I would not be at all surprised to see similar campaigns mounted against utility companies, for example. And again, the methodology would simply be to give those organisations such a lot of work to do that it impacts upon their assets, upon their functioning, and ultimately, of course, upon their bottom line. So anyway, with regard to the Blizzard case, if we get any further details of what's happening here or how many requests have been made, we will, of course, bring them to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Unauthorised data access led to two ladies receiving suspended prison sentences this week. A police receptionist who accessed her force's confidential database and used it rather like most people might use Facebook to help her best friend keep track of her tearaway family has been spared jail with a suspended sentence. Ex-prison warder Jackson Wilson, 51, made illicit checks on police investigations after former workmate Jacqueline Ducey, 52, had asked her for information about relatives who had been arrested. The investigation found that on 12 occasions, Wilson, who worked behind the public inquiry counter for police in Preston, had checked up on probes into Ducey's husband, son, teenage daughter and two nephews for a range of offences. Each search had triggered an alert, a protocol introduced to ensure that the police national computer system was being used legitimately, which aroused suspicion among senior officers at Lancashire Police. When Ducey was confronted, she admitted, I just feel so bad, I've asked for this stuff and got her into trouble. She's my friend and she knows everything about me. To me, they were just little questions. I've only asked her to get information for when I've had problems. Wilson claimed she thought it was the same as just someone asking at the police station and later said her behaviour was similar to, quote, somebody checking their Facebook account, quote. There was no suggestion she had access to any sensitive intelligence about crime. 
At Preston Crown Talk this week, Wilson of Ashton on Ribble and Juicy of Fullwood both admitted a charge of unauthorised access to computer data. Wilson was sentenced to six months jail, suspended for two years. Juicy was given eight months imprisonment, suspended for two years. Both were also ordered to complete 150 hours of unpaid community work. The court heard that the pair had been friends for 16 years and had worked together when they were both jail warders. The incident occurred over a 14-month period from April 2017 when Ducey's nephew was arrested for breach of bail. In passing the sentence, Judge Andrew Warren said, The two of you have been friends for many, many years and it's clear Ducey had many family problems and the police were involved. It is clear no prostitution or police inquiries were affected by this and no money was changed hands and there was no financial gain for either of you. But offences like these can cause damage to the police system and can cause information to be released into the public domain. As well as their suspended, Wilson was ordered to pay £85 in costs, while Ducey was ordered to pay £1,000 in costs. Prosecutor Alexander Langhorn said a nephew of Ducey was reported missing and she contacted Wilson, who then went on to search the police national computer system. The same nephew was reported to have damaged an iPhone, the prosecutor added. Wilson conducted a search using his name and then told Ducey on a 40-minute telephone call to tell her what had been discovered. Another of Ducey's nephews was arrested for robbery and theft of a motor vehicle. Ducey contacted Wilson who again carried out a search for his name. In October 2017, Ducey's son was arrested for driving while over the prescribed limit for drugs. Once again, Wilson conducted a search and there's evidence that she was finding out what was going on and keeping her friend up to date with what was happening in custody, the court was told. Mr Langhorn said between October and November 2017, Ducey's nephew was on the run and there were further checks in relation to him and there was a message from Wilson to Ducey saying simply can't find anything. Later there was a report that Mr Ducey had assaulted Mrs Ducey. Mrs Ducey was asking Wilson for an update who then searched for information. Mrs Ducey also asked if Wilson could read the statement she provided to see if it was okay and Wilson said it was excellent. In December 2017, there was a report about Ducey's daughter in relation to a search, and in a message from Wilson to Ducey, she said, don't worry, and she referenced something about cocaine, the inference being that her daughter was found with cocaine. In January 2018, Ducey was herself witness to a murder, and she asked Wilson to conduct checks. Wilson checked the information and reported that someone had been murdered. Then there was a domestic disturbance between Ducey and one of her ex-partners, and she asked Wilson if the incident had been logged. Wilson said it had, and they may want to speak to him. Later, there was another disturbance at Ducey's home, and she sent a message to Wilson. Wilson said, I'll do some digging. Once again, Wilson accessed the police national computer system, and she sent a further message saying, trying to find out, but can't find anything. And then there was a further matter regarding a sexual assault allegation, but there was some dispute about whether Ducey did ask for access for this. They both compromised the integrity of the system, the access to such data is a criminal offence, and there were occasions when Ducey relayed information to her sister. In mitigation, Defence Counsel for Wilson, Rachel Woods, said there were differences between a serving police officer and a desk clerk, she was limited in what she could do, and her motivation was to help her friend, who clearly had a complicated family background. She said any inquiries that were made by Wilson was at the behest of the co-defendant, and she was aware there was some form of police involvement with various members of her family. She added, In her mind, she thought what she was doing was confirming the information her co-defendant had already found. She thought she was simply helping a friend. The defendant had received very limited training to perform this new job. 
She would sit at her desk to start with a shift at a new police station and she would access the computer to see what was going on from the night before. An analogy is like somebody checking their Facebook account. The defendant was oblivious to the warning signs that what she was doing had to be for specific legitimate policing purposes. It's important to stress there was no attempt to thwart the investigations and there was a trail left on the logging system and a trail left on both of their phones. Before the offence, Wilson had worked for 10 years as a prison officer before leaving with an exemplary work record and working full-time as a platform conductor with Virgin Mail. For Juicy, defence lawyer Cecilia Pritchard said, She's a lady with a rather troubled family, but she herself has never been in any trouble with the police. She was just someone who felt the need to protect her family in the way she thought she could. Perhaps it was just gossip before between friends, and there was no intention to frustrate any police investigation. This lady thought she was helping her family out. She was going about it in the wrong way. She feels terrible that she put her friend in the situation she did. If she had any real thought about what she was doing, she would never have asked her questions. So, obviously an exceptional case because it's the police national computer involved, but nonetheless, perhaps emphasises that courts are prepared to take a strict view when there is unauthorised access to data. And of course, that's a key fundamental GDPR. So it's important that your staff bear that in mind that you know it can be far more than just a slap on the wrist if you access data that you're not authorized to access you're listening to the gdpr weekly show with your host keith budden a primary health organization or pho which is a non-government organization providing essential primary health care in new zealand has just revealed a huge security breach which could potentially have exposed the medical data of around 1 million people. The PHO in question is Tuora Compass Health, which has its website defaced and notified the authorities in New Zealand of a cyber attack on August the 5th. The organisation immediately took itself offline as soon as it was aware that security had been breached and began the investigation, and it also looked at how it can strengthen its IT security. That investigation has uncovered previous cyber attacks which dated all the way back to 2016, right through to March of 2019. The statement from Tuora notes that the motives behind any attacks are unknown and it's unsure whether patient data has been compromised or not, although it has no evidence that any such data was accessed. Tuora said, We cannot say for certain whether or not the cyber attacks resulted in any patient information being accessed. Experts say it's likely we will never know. However, we have to assume the worst, and that is why we're informing people. Tuora holds data on people in the Greater Wellington, Wererapa and Manawutu regions, with records dating back to 2002. Anybody enrolled with a medical centre from that time onwards could possibly have been affected by the breach. The population in those areas actually totals some 648,000 people, although the data held is known to be actually on a million people, because it's still includes data on those who've moved away or have deceased. However, the organisation to clarify does not hold any GP notes, so details for any consultations with doctors are not at risk, and neither does Tora have any of the data contained in patient portals. The data that Tora does hold includes the patient's name, date of birth, ethnicity, national house number and address, as well as which medical centre they were enrolled at. On top of that, there's various miscellaneous information provided by medical centres, such as records of which children are due for immunisation and whether those over 65 have had their flus at vaccine, for example. 
in terms of strengthening its security, to all that has moved to a new platform and is improving its antivirus and email scanning software, as well as establishing a security operations centre for real-time monitoring of threats to its data. To Orva said, we are also part way through a planned movement to more modern, more secure infrastructure using Microsoft Azure. The new Torva Microsoft Azure environment will be fully secured with defence in depth approach to protecting all of our electronic assets. And so, whilst obviously not directly affected by GDPR, New Zealand we know is attempting to bring its data protection rules in line with GDPR and it's interesting that they are now asking organisations to report data breaches, such as the uh, Torva organisation have done in this case. If we hear any more on this, or on any other data breaches in New Zealand, we will of course bring them to you in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Norfolk and Norwich NHS Trust suffered a data breach this week. Serena Reid of Northraps was distraught when she opened a letter from the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital informing her of the error, which saw personal and medical details about her and 10 other patients mistakenly sent to the wrong address. Serena, a disabled mother of two, says she feels violated after personal details about her were sent by the hospital to the wrong address. The details centred on a visit that Serena made in September to the Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital's emergency department and had intended to be sent to her GP in Croma. Then instead been sent in a batch with 11 others to a totally wrong address. Fortunately, the person who received the records in error returned them to the hospital by hand immediately upon receiving them. The hospital recognised that this was a serious data breach and immediately wrote to each of the affected patients informing them of the data breach and apologising for the error. Mrs Reid said, When I opened the letter, I felt incredibly angry, distressed and let down. The fact that somebody out there could have accessed my details is so, so upsetting. I think it's abysmal, particularly because it didn't just happen to me. I just feel violated. The letter explains that the information erroneously shared included names, addresses, dates of birth and reasons for attendance. The hospital has now launched a full investigation into how the mistake occurred and is seeking to do everything it can to prevent a repeat performance in future. A spokesman for Norfolk and Norwich University Hospital said, Following an administrative error, 11 hospital discharge letters that were intended for GP surgery were accidentally sent to a patient's address. We have informed the affected patients and have offered our sincere apologies for the error. We are looking into what happened and this is an ongoing investigation to ensure lessons are learned and shared. This has also been reported to the Information Commissioner's Office and we will share the outcome of our investigations with those affected. Our staff have been reminded to ensure their Information Government's mandatory training is up to date and in the near future all discharge letters to GP surgeries will be sent electronically. I suspect that the ICO will take some action against the Norfolk and Norwich University NHS Trust in this case, solely because it is medical records which have been exposed and medical records are treated as sensitive data under GDPR. And the fact that they were sent in paper documents makes no difference. It's still uh, very clearly a data breach under GDPR. So we will keep an eye on this case for you and bring you updates as appropriate in future episodes of the show. 
You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We were interested to see the outcome of a survey by the Data and Marketing Association this week as it identified that 21% of marketers still do not feel that they've received enough training to be able to comply with GDPR, even though it's now more than 18 months since GDPR legislation was introduced. Against that, 65% say they've had the right training on key data privacy issues. 20% say that their organisations are not implementing ongoing training plans. And 18% of marketers said the GDPR expert who'd given them training didn't have the right experience in marketing. Uh, we find this particularly interesting as, of course, our main purpose in life is to provide training and consultancy in GDPR to companies and organisations and we have a number of marketing organisations and companies within our client list. So if you are a marketing company and you work and or you work for a marketing company and you'd be interested in some GDPR training uh, with a marketing twist then please do get in touch with us. Drop us an email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk that's the n-s-u-r-e-t-y.co.uk and one of our team will get back to you and arrange a meeting and see how we can help you with your training to ensure that your training is both up to date and relevant and I think that particularly applies here where the 20% of people who say that their organisations are not implementing ongoing training plans that's something that we've found unfortunately is seems to be increasingly common and it is important that you factor into your training to have ongoing training. Now that might be formal training, it might be classroom training, or it might just be a quick update over the internet. It really doesn't matter um, too much. It depends on what's changed in your particular uh, arena. But it is important that you're kept up to date because GDPR is not a static thing. It is a moving feast. uh, As more cases are being brought, as more investigations are being held, as more data breaches are being reported, then so the advice and guidance is being changed too to fit the real world in which we live and doubtless that will change even more in the next few months assuming that Brexit actually happens in some form at the end of October. So if you have any training requirements or you just like a chat to make sure that your training is up to date then please do just drop us a line to podcast at insurety.co.uk, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, and we'll have a chat with you and just make sure that you have everything you need in place that you need to. And, uh, of course, if you don't, we be more than happy to provide some training to you and your team. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The introduction of GDPR has been blamed for a 100% increase in the volume of data breaches reported to the ICO by central government departments. So the total number of breaches in 2017-18 was 3,522 against a total for 2018-19 of 7,409. However, as always with reports like this, um, the devil's in the detail. If we look at the good end of the spectrum as far as central government was concerned, 
then DWP, the Department of Work and Pensions, only had one notifiable data breach in the whole of the year. NHS England saw their number of notifiable data breaches go down from 37 to 13. Department of Business saw their total increase slightly from 10 to 13. HMRC, the Tax and Customs Office, saw their number of data breaches decline from 32 to 22. So if all these have gone down or only marginally gone up, then where are the big increases? Well, the big increases are in Minister of Defence, which saw its number of data breaches increase from 117 to 470. At DEFRA, which saw their number of breaches increase from 62 to 148. At the Ministry of Justice, who saw their data breaches increase from 3,184 to 4,777. And at the Home Office, which saw an absolutely staggering increase from 66 in 2017-18 to 1,930 in 2018-19. Put that in context, that's an increase of 2,824%. Massive increase. So how come some are getting it right and some are getting it wrong? Well, this is something that we'll look at in future episodes of the show, but we spoke to the Ministry of Justice about their situation because their total number of data breaches was high in 1718 and in 1819, and really in 1819 they make up more than 50% of the total data breaches across the whole of national government. And they said that unlike many other government departments, the Ministry was running local delivery services directly through Her Majesty's Courts and Tribunal Service, which is running 338 court and tribunal centres, which between them handle 4.4 million cases. A spokesperson for the Ministry of Justice said, while we work to reduce the number of breaches, the vast majority which do occur are low impact and represent a tiny fraction of the millions of court cases, legal aid applications and personal data of those in prison or on probation that we deal with each year. We take the security of data very seriously, training our staff to handle sensitive information and investigating each and every incident to prevent any repeat. The spokesman went on to say that they'd only found eight significant incidents in 2018-19, which indeed was two fewer than in 2017-18 when they found 10. However, it doesn't get away from the fact of such a large number of data breaches being reported. Now, it may be, of course, that the Ministry of Justice are not quite using the same criteria as other government departments in this. So, it could work either way, because obviously, if they're being more cautious and reporting things which other departments aren't, then it's possible that in all the other departments there's actually far more data breaches than this survey has revealed. Alternatively, of course, if they are actually being correct in their diagnosis of which cases to refer to the ICO, it could be that all of the other departments are, again, actually under-referring and maybe not referring items to the ICO, which they should be. This isn't something we can cover off just in one short article like this, but we will look into this more 
and come back to you with it in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. And we end this week with news that the Dutch prostitution site hookers.nl has been hacked, potentially exposing the details of 250,000 users' data. The breach was confirmed by a hookers.nl moderator on Thursday this week who said that the forum software supplier, Rebulletin, who of course provides software for a vast number of forums across the internet, but the forum software supplier, Rebulletin, had reported that a vulnerability had allowed an outsider access to hookers.nl's database. Action has been taken as quickly as possible V-Bulletin has released a software patch that we've implemented after testing to address the leak, the moderator wrote. Nevertheless, a data breach has occurred and email addresses have been stolen from all users. They claimed email addresses were being offered for sale online by hackers and recommended that users change their login details. Offering this information for sale is punishable by law and if possible we will take legal action, the moderator added. They said that in addition, a report has been made to the Dutch Data Protection Authority, the Dutch ICO. Now, for those outside of Holland, hookers.nl is reportedly used by both sex workers and their customers. Now, prostitution, of course, is legal in the Netherlands, but one serious concern around such leaks is that users' real identities will be exposed and they will face blackmail, personal or professional consequences. Ray Walsh, digital privacy advocate at ProPrivacy.com, said the hacker, who appears to show no remorse, could potentially accept payment and still leak the data to the internet. For victims, it's going to be hard to make a decision. The temptation to pay up may be high, but there's no guarantee that this will result in their identity being kept a secret. The Dutch broadcaster, NOS, which originally broke the story, spoke to the hacker responsible and confirmed that the data leak includes usernames, IP addresses and passwords. It should be noted though that the passwords are encrypted but we don't know what method of encryption has been used. NOS viewed some of the data and said it could determine some real names of users. The publication also spoke to the hacker who said that they hadn't yet sold the data but expected that they would do so soon. So Again, we will keep you updated in future episodes of the show if we have any updates on this, either from the website themselves or from the Dutch ICO, or indeed from the Dutch broadcaster NOS. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.